Kilo Tactical with uh, what? What is it? Multicam Tropic? Is that what we're doing here? Yeah, it's just one of one. God damn it. <clears throat> All right, Mountain Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> can I kick it? Yes, you can. How am I looking today? Beautiful. Did you see, um, what do you want to start with? Tell me what you want to start with. I'll tell you what's up. First of all, this sweet-ass shirt that one of our customers sent us. Yep. They tie-dyed that stuff up for me. It is perfect tropic camo itself. Hmm. Well, we'll call it African summer camo I will be wearing this week. Okay. Yeah. How about this shirt? I like it. You ever seen one like this? Not like that one. You know why? No, I don't. It's one of one. Is it? It is. How do you know that? Because uh, my buddy Mike, uh, Tactical Kilo over here. Tactical Kilo, <laughs> huh? From Kilo Tactical. Brought it for me. One of one. What is it? This is one of one. Yeah, that's right. That was the first <sighs> sample we made. It feels so good inside. What What is this material? This stuff right here. That's a, a micro fleece. And it's it's similar to a velour, but a little softer and a little lighter. You have that velour yeah. jumpsuit I saw you in the yes. too. You know what I would name this material if it were up to me, based on how it feels and looks? Mm. Buttery titties. Oh. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. Okay. If you want to take it, you can. You can have that one. Uh, also, what this is, wait, convertible pouch. Right. Is it the micro convertible pouch or just the convertible pouch? Just the convertible because it's really small. Yeah. And this this is Rhodesian. So I'm wearing my camo. Mm. This this is not Rhodesian. That is Rhodesian. This, 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 is Rhodesian. Yeah. this thing is so small. Like this could be your like uh this could go in your prison wallet. It's so small. Up the old hoop. But look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Well, you got the gap. So you don't, gap get got. So don't get got. Ooh, uh, perfect. Right in the center. That's there perfect. There you go. So look at that. And I still have like chapstick and my car keys, treasure map and vape in there. Oh, you got your vape in there? Yeah. Nice. Mike, thank you for coming up, buddy. Man, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah? Yeah. Why? Because you got a buzz going? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because you got a buzz going already? Yeah. Yeah? Yep. You doing okay? I'm doing great. Whew. Man, it feels... This thing, it's getting hot. We're going to crack a window because I ain't taking this off. Man, I appreciate the gift. I look... Fuck, I feel like I look good. Do you, I look good you today? You do look good. I look good. I feel like you I look good You may confuse today. some people out in public with the shorts and the flip-flops. But hey, I think you look good. Hey, like Sean Hannity, nobody knows what I'm wearing under here. All right, that's right. Yeah, so you, know, I could, ha I got slacks on under there. You don't know. That's true. I did. Or I have that. on that, uh, that new, that new stuff. The new, new. The new, new. The new, new. The um, uh, what the Wolverine Red Dawn cam? What is this camo? Wolverine Red Dawn? Yeah. So uh, yesterday we dropped slings yesterday. in frog skin, like World War II Marine Corps oh, frog skin. I like that. That's I know that favorite. one. I like that. That's one. my favorite. Yeah. That's one of my favorites too. Um. And in the original 1984 film, Red Dawn, uh, they created a camo that was similar to the Russian camo at the time called Berezka. Oh, is that why they did it? Because they couldn't get Russian camo, but it was they were fighting the Russians? That's my assumption, oh. is that they couldn't get the real Russian camo. So they designed one that looks similar, but it uses three colors instead of the Russian, which only has two colors. Yeah. So we found Russians, a source. they don't have a lot of money. Right. So, you know, budget, only two yeah, colors. That's right. Um, so yeah, we made some slings out of that and, uh, and people seem to really like the film and really like the camo. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's the film has become popular. Yeah. Again. They did a bunch of like that corner cutting too. Um, there's a couple scenes like when they're running dishkas, 
it's actually M60s with just a, it looks like a cardboard donut on the front of it. So like they're mounted. So you see like Patrick Swayze shooting a Dishka and if you pause it, it's an M60. So they just did a yeah. little, they had to use what they could, I guess. Yeah. Because the import. It, it is, I tell you, I've worked on a couple things with movies over the years and um, it'll ruin it for you. There's so much fake stuff yeah. that it's just like, oh man, you never look at it the same way again. So I don't know. I, I like to embrace my willing suspension of disbelief. I just pretend it's all real. Like Star Wars, the Dishkas, you name it. It's all legit. I just wasn't there. Yep. Um, okay. Well, man, Kilo Tactical. How in the hell did you get started? What is Kilo Tactical? How'd you get started? And what's up with all these trendy companies making all this cool shit? Yeah. Well, I started uh, Kilo Tactical about a year ago, just like a little over a year ago as an Instagram account. And that's um, Kilo Tactical, Q-I-L-O Tactical. That's right. All one word, that's your Instagram account, right? Yep. Right here. Um, yeah, so I started Kilo NYC seven years ago, and we were just a, a menswear, streetwear brand. And I personally always had an interest in uh, camos and military history and really just history in general. I've always been passionate about that stuff. And um, I just had this idea in the fall of 2018 for that season to create a multicam collection where we came out with multicam bombers and parkas and matching hats and especially the multicam black bomber jacket and parka were a big hit for us and and that's just the original street streetwear brand right Kilo. right and that was Kilo just, NYC yep yeah yep and it did okay with uh with our current audience but we found that there was this this niche, this this community online that really liked it, and that was the two A slash tactical community. Um, you know, we, we finally were able to give them something that represents a pattern that they like or that they would use, but it's still something they could wear out in public and isn't like super tactical with zippers everywhere. It was something you could wear uh, casually. Yeah. So. There wasn't really like a plan where I sat down and sketched out this, you know, five-year, two-year plan. Oh, we're going to start a new division. It was on a whim. I just had an idea in January of last year to, well, what if I just started an Instagram, a new Instagram called Kilo Tactical, and called up my co-founder and ran it by him. He was like, "Yeah, go for it." And that day, I just did it. And a few months in, I realized, wait, this is, you know, people are really liking this, and not only that, but I'm really enjoying the nature of this work a lot more because yeah. it speaks more to my personal interests. Well, and being so. a creative guy, it's like a new set of problems to solve and things to come up with. Yeah. I could see. Well, okay, Jay. So you're a real whore for all this stuff. When did you discover Kilo Tactical? Um, Colin actually showed me Kilo stuff uh, about a year, I think right from the beginning. Um, he sent me a, one of the hats with the little pineapples on it. Um, as an example, but he had talked about Kilo before. So I think probably I hadn't heard of Kilo NYC. I I think I started at Kilo Tactical yeah. um, about a year ago and have just been following since then. And then obviously saw all the, the different collaborations you've done with other companies that I was fans of. Um, so yeah, all that's interesting right to me. It. I guess that this is one of those, right? Uh, the one that went into production with the Rhodesian Yeah, not, not the one of one that Jay didn't get. Right. Right. <laughs> that's right crash our drone that's fucking i know good. i know yeah so um so it was a warm fuzzy collab yeah but you didn't call it the warm fuzzy right i mean when i was looking at this concept i just thought you know like warm fuzzy it's in their name this would be a perfect piece for them 
because it is warmer and fuzzier than, I mean, any jacket we've made or any jacket we've seen. So I pitched it by him and he was like, yeah. And we just went back and forth on different patterns, different palettes, you know. And uh, I'm really glad that people liked it because it's not a style of jacket that you see out there much. It can go yeah. either way. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was a successful I'm gonna, job. I'm going to lean it a little more casual. You know, it's just my style. Jay. That's true. What? Oh, okay. So well, then I have some questions. So, so you came up with the concept. You approached him. And did you know him before that? Uh, we had done one collaboration last summer already. We had done some shorts. Shorts? Together. Yeah. Yeah. How'd that go? It went really well. I mean, that was our biggest drop at the time. How long did it take to sell out? Oh, I mean, all of the all of the main size, like medium and large, was out within five minutes, like four <sighs> or five minutes. And I think within 10, 12 minutes, everything was gone. And that was our highest unit drop um, at the time. And that's so awesome. Good for you. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, I, the, I, the public de- generally, like I know you just said, it, you're glad to see that people liked liked at least that, the Sherp. But everything that you guys have, at least every time any of us go look to, to try to grab it, if we don't have a an alarm on, we're not going to get it. It sells out. Well, you, you know, sometimes it's nice when things work out, Jay. Sometimes. And you don't know. It's like having faith. So I tried to buy the production one, sold out. I don't, you tell me how long it sold out. I feel like it, I was like three minutes in and bam, gone. End up getting the one of one with the Tropic camo. Cause the, the, the production one had what Rhodesian on it. Right. See, I'd be too matchy-matchy. That's true. You would be too matchy-matchy. Yeah. Now. Now you're a little clashy-clashy, but it's all right. <laughs> That's cool. Well, it's 2021. So so jealousy is the color olive drab? Mm. Yeah, this is Arc Territory. Uh, Have you ever heard of it? Not, no, no. Yeah, it's very expensive. I mean, I think it was cool in the 90s. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, when your dad was in his prime. Was that his? <laughs> was that your dad's? No. It was not okay, okay. So, um. Yeah, how long did it take to sell out of these things? The production one's not the one of one, obviously. Um, I think that was gone in an hour. But again, I wasn't keeping a close eye on different sizes. So certain sizes were probably out within minutes. But you know, we just got hit with a big snowstorm that day. So I was out with my uh, my girl and her like eight year old sister sledding. I didn't even look at my phone. Looked at it an hour later. All right, I guess it's gone. People what like a good the, day. The good life. Got some yeah. sledding in. Let me go right. sledding out. with my girl. Sold out on the drop. <laughs> what a good day. <laughs> so you start out. What was your first product with Kilo Tactical? Uh, well, for Kilo Tactical, I think uh, we started actually with shorts. Uh, that the May shorts. we did Oscam Desert Shorts, which is a pretty niche pattern. And people liked it. It's a weird pattern. It has purple in it. And people often call Oscam penis cam because it looks like there's dicks in the pattern. Yeah. But uh, Sounds awesome. Oscam desert's particularly funny because there's purple dicks in it. So. Uh, <laughs> I don't find that funny at all. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but, you know, since we started right before the whole COVID thing, um, what, uh, masks were also one of our first drops. Really? And so, yeah, we did the tiger and we did multicam black, yeah. but after just one or two drops, I was like, you know what? I don't even want to make any more masks yeah. because I was just so sick of wearing masks. Yeah. So yeah. It would, that would aggravate me too. I could see that. Yeah. So the shorts. Yeah, man, that's bold like shorts, but you come from fashion. You're dealing with all the clothes and the size bullshit constantly anyway. Right. Huh? Well, well let me ask you this. How do you think that the two a community found your Kilo NYC bomber jacket. Like, how'd this happen? Like, is it just, you know, Famous Jay is on IG with it on, and bam, you sell out of all of them? What happened? Well, um, 
I definitely have to shout out a few pages that really helped me there. Yeah. So it was an experiment. You know, we came out with this with this jacket, and I felt like, you know, I wonder how this particular community would respond to it. And there were two pages on Instagram that I'd reached out to, and I was like, hey, let me just send you some stuff, and if you like it, um, post about it. And that was Gear Whores Anonymous and Multi Multicam Black Gang. Yep. And they both posted it. Oh, sound cool. On Black yeah. Friday weekend. Oh. And so I was just chilling at a friend's party that Saturday. You do a lot of chilling and, and shit, man. Yeah, professional chilling. <laughs> yeah, <a lot. laughs> Sledding, chilling, eating chicken salad at the club. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm at this party and I just see all these orders coming in out of nowhere. I'm like, okay, something happened, right? I go on Instagram and I saw that they had posted and not only that, but those people had come to our page and seen our coupon code. Mm. So we were selling jackets at a rate that we had never seen before. And this made me really happy because this particular concept was my concept. And I wasn't the only designer on the team. You know, yeah. this was my sort of like, hey, trust me, I think the camos are going to do well. I think people are going to like multicam. And um, this was a proof of that concept that it worked out. So they those pages got the sort of first interest from this community um, on our products. That's awesome. Yeah. Man, I, I tell you, I'm so excited to see guys like yourself and that our stupid industry has grown enough to open up to accept it. My opinion, which is worth shit, like 20 years ago, you would not have been successful in it. Now it's like great fucking timing. And I love that things are becoming, I mean, you do a good mix, like the stuff that is actually tactical. Like I can convert this and put it on my little carrier and have a little pouch, which I always need because you always need some stuff that, isn't properly arranged in, in a, uh, in a carrier anyway, but that, that you're able to bring an element of style and fashion and quality. Oh my God. When you and I were in Texas and you were showing me your jacket and I noticed the stitching and the buttons and a lot of attention to detail and the quality of stuff, uh, that you're doing. I, I love it. I mean, even the different materials, like when I put this on the first thing I noticed, like it felt so good putting it on like the most expensive, like wonderful robe, which I don't know if many people dudes on robes. Like I actually do, but I always, when I, when I end up a couple times a year saying at some fancy hotel, I put the robe on. Yeah. It was, was great. I was going to ask kind of, I mean, Kevin kind of covered it and you both did, but I was going to ask how you, how you were received um, or how you thought you were received coming into, like you were saying, like this industry, which is not the most inclusive industry. Um, it's kind of a lot of people at each other's throats, but from the numbers or like seeing your following and everything, it seems like you received well. And I've never heard anything negative about Kilo in any regard. So I, I was curious to see if that was something you were kind of worried about or if it just never even crossed your mind. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, I don't think it crossed my mind much because we're, we're, we've just been really grateful for the response that it's gotten. And our goal from the beginning has just to make, has, has been to make things that are different. Um, things that someone can't get elsewhere. Well, then and, you're, gonna, you're always going to get criticism for that. And I think right. with fashion, it's it's more expected probably from an outside perspective. But man, our industry is just so full of dudes that think they're tactical. It sticks up their asses and critical of everything. And it, I love it. I love it. And, and it makes it, for me, it makes it easy, like not being afraid of being adversarial and shit um, yeah. to, to, to get them to do my marketing for me. The, yeah. the brand is not for everyone, and that's yeah. okay. I mean, sometimes people aren't feeling I'm like, look, Amen. if it's not for you, it's not for you. But 
we we embrace the occasional failure. I mean, the way we learned everything is through failure. I mean, you mentioned prod, like uh, fabrics and you know stitching and buttons. Um, the way we came up in the fashion world was just going to these trade shows in Vegas twice a year. We would do you know magic yeah. project liberty fairs agenda those kind of things and our first season we just had some accessories and not much of a of an apparel collection but you walk the show you go around you feel things you, you feel fabrics you study the styles what are the trends of the year um and you just try to elevate from there and um one thing that i really think that it's been fun and unique for us to bring to the table in this community is an element of cut and sew that other brands don't really have. Uh, there's a lot of great brands out there doing graphic tees, graphic hoodies. Yeah. And so we actually stay away from that. We're, we're not as interested in competing with um, a lot of other awesome companies on those categories. And then you have the brands that are super tactical and you know practical application. Arcteryx does a great job. Audi Gear, who's also... Yeah. They, they're actually Audis from the town next to us in Are New they Jersey. really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I've had lunch with uh, Todd a few times. But uh, yeah, their stuff is super for like tactical yeah, application. Great technical stuff. Um, our philosophy at the end of the day is like we're just inspired by history and camo and patterns and and this kind of thought, uh, you know, things. And but at the end of the day, I grew up shopping for Stussy for the hundreds for Supreme, and you know, nowadays the kind of things I look for are maybe a little bit more elevated. You know, I'll go like and shop for Saturdays or. Um, you know, just contemporary brands. Yeah. Every product we make, even if it's that convertible that you're wearing, we would want it to be able to be uh, to be sold in a in a high end menswear store. And so, um, you know, that you see that with the Sherp, you see it with our, uh, you know, chore coats, outerwear, shorts. Yeah. We still would would want it to be able to sit in a high end menswear store. I just love and appreciate the perspective, and and, and I think it's possible you know, probably in a large degree because you don't come from our industry. Um, just having a different, more creative perspective and, yeah, different desire for your product. Right. Yeah, wanting it to be high-end. I love it. Was Kilo NYC, was that kind of your first endeavor or your first jump into into fashion or did you have any sort of, like growing up, did you have any little products or like little try to start a little, a little streetwear brand here or there or whatever or was it just you jumped right in? Yeah, Kilo was the first, man. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, it started off super grassroots. It was just me and my buddy. We were at college, and we had some hats, and we were just selling it to friends and family, and we had these girls, these interns called the Kilo Girls, and their job was just to look cute and go to parties and just promote it just by looking cute. Smart. It went from that to doing our first trade show in 2016, which was our first big risk. That's when Q started. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so 2016. Nice. Q, Kilo, with a Q. <laughs> Coincidence? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Q incidents. Oh. So, yeah, we we put like $6,600 down for a booth at one of those trade shows in Vegas. And uh, it wasn't until the next season that we learned that you can actually negotiate that pricing. Oh, yeah. We must have paid 3500 the next <laughs> yeah. season. But that first season, we were just like 6600 All right. Here's the money. And, uh, yeah, we were scared, you know, because there's no guarantee you're going to make a single dollar back. You get a booth and, you you know, these buyers go to the trade shows and you hope that you can um, 
just kind of pull one of them in and that they'll place an order. But well, how'd you do the first year then? So that first season on the first day, this dude from Hawaii came in and he placed a $600 purchase order. Um, you know, you mentioned our pineapple logo. That was the collection at the time. So he saw the pineapple and that was it. But that $600 purchase order, two years later, we, we did 25 grand with them just in one store in, in Hawaii. Um, and we were picked up by a Canadian uh, department store called Simon's, that oh, very yeah. first show. And the next season, we got into Urban Outfitters and oh, Saks Fifth Ave. Really? Urban yeah. Outfitters? Yep. I like that even better than Saks, but I understand from fashion perspective, Saks is kind of fancy. Right. But that was one of those deceptive moments, actually, where, you know, sometimes you hear the question, like, what was the moment that you thought you made it? And definitely when we got that Urban Outfitters purchase order, I was like, you know, yeah, we, we made it, right? Mm. And at the time, we were very happy. But what we then learned was these guys have like 70 pages of regulations of you have to, you know, tag the product here and bag it this oh. way and tag it this way. I, I've, I've it, turned down yeah. advanced Arma and at Q distributors because they want us to do that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, no thanks. Right. Right. They write it into their contracts in a way that if you mislabel one thing, like you put the box label on the wrong corner of the box, it's a chargeback. Mm-hmm. They wow. find ways to just, you know, charge back on every little thing yeah, that you do wrong. I, I avoid it all now. I don't deal with any of that chargeback stuff. Right. Right. Yeah, it's just not worth my time. That's crazy. It's cool that you just, you kind of went for it and it worked out. I mean, I, because we hear so many stories about I did this and failed, I did this and failed, I did this and failed, and I learned my lessons all the way. And then I got into something, but just, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't just luck. It's obviously the ingenuity, the ideas and everything, and I'm sure work ethic. But that first kind of jump in, you oh, it, it the it's, right way. Oh, it's scary. The jump in, I mean, from my perspe- perspective, scary. But the hard work is when you have the first unexpected failure and you start questioning everything. And it's like, oh, my God, we're idiots. This is never going to work. I'm a fraud. Like, just whatever, like the self-doubt. And then, like, fuck, I really want to do this and working through it. Like, it's... For sure. I mean, the first purchase order we got from the Canadian uh, department store, we didn't even know what a cancel date was on the PO. So, our, you know, we still didn't ship the purchase order yet until, you know, the cancel... It was past the cancel date on the PO, and our buyer reached out to us, and she was like, where's the order? And we we thought cancel date meant something different. So we are just like, oh, yeah. It's past the date that you can cancel it. So, are, well, are you still in um, dealing with Saks and with Urban Outfitters? No, no. And and that's the thing. Um, that's why I was like, you know, at the time we thought it was this, you know, awesome peak that we that we had finally found, you know, our uh, our rhythm, so to speak. But what I learned very quickly was the they don't put you in the stores right away. They they test you online, oh. and it's hard to stand out in an online store of that size. So yeah. you're, you're pitted against hundreds, maybe even thousands of other brands. Yeah. Um, Saks actually did put us in their stores. So it actually did reasonably well there, and they, they submitted another purchase order with us. We got a few more purchase orders from Urban Outfitters, but pretty soon it became evident to us that their POs weren't even, weren't even bigger than the best-performing mom-and-pop brick-and-mortars. And ironically, there was this uh, store in Saudi Arabia that was per- that was placing the biggest purchase. It was one store in Saudi Arabia was sending like purchase orders for like a lot, a lot of eight, money in oil. Yeah, yeah. eight nine thousand dollars per PO, and they'd place multiple of those a season. Wow! And 
you know, my dad was telling me, he's like, man, never thought I'd like the Saudis so much. <laughs> no. So recently, did you say that, I guess following wise, I'm not sure monetary or, or whatever, but did has Kilo Tactical kind of surpassed what Kilo NYC was doing? Or is it is it just on the follower basis, like just exposure? Yeah, on all fronts. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's awesome. It's been really cool to see a year in. Right. Um, it just... That is interesting. Yeah. Well, okay, well, then I want to ask... Well, it, I mean, also goes to what I'm always talking about, how much, yeah, the, the 2A community has grown. I mean, when we right. think about, you know, there are 10 times as many silencers in commercial hands now than 10 years ago. And that's just one little niche of it. But you have so much more opportunity there. I, w- I want to ask you this, talking about, you know, the pain in the ass with... From my standpoint, it's kind of like, well, a big box or a big distributor where they have all those regulations and you're fine. You know, you find your groove with the the mom and pops. Um, Is is you think that part of the success with Kilo Tactical compared to the other brand is like you just put it online, you sell it all directly to consumers is direct concept like Amazon or whatever. Is that a part of this? Do you like that better? A hundred percent, a hundred percent, because even the idea of getting into stores, uh, the wholesale model, the idea is that Urban Outfitters followers, you know, their customers would find you and then directly buy from you. I mean, that's still the idea behind getting into stores is that their customers like your brand and become a follower of your brand. And with Kilo Tactical, we definitely were able to just nail down concepts that really appeal directly to a consumer or to a niche. Yeah. And direct to consumer so much better, so much more fun. Um, uh, but definitely dealing with mom and pop stores is easier than what the big box retailers. Yeah, and staying yeah. connected, you can be more agile in a company your size. Because, um, you, you know, I hate the stuff. For instance, after Advanced Armament, and I went to work at SIG, and we came up with a silencer division and all that. And it shocked me when I had to have like uh, pricing meetings. Because I had those before when I owned the company, and it was very simple. No shit at SIG. This Well, this is one of the Q silencers, but let's say it's a SIG sign. 18 different prices. 18. That's not even an exaggeration. 18. And I'm, I was just like, I'm out. Like, you guys do whatever the fuck you got to do. Like, I, I, I can't reconcile with that in any way. Like, why in the world we have 18 different prices? You know, we're at a point now, too, we have such a back order. And I think probably like you, through social media, we're able to easily reach people. Like, how does it make sense for me to continue to deal with distributors like that old model? We're probably one of the last industries that's really run the way it was in the 50s, where we have distributors, they place big orders, they get them, and all they do, because our stuff stays on back order and sold out, it doesn't even go off their dock. They just forward it to a mom and pop shop, who I would probably prefer to deal with anyway, but... So I'm giving away millions of dollars a year to the distributor to receive it and put another label on it and ship it to a dealer. So it's like, who am I really servicing there? Right. You know, and, and I would prefer to stay more engaged with, with the retailer. Man, Adam's going to hate to hear this part of the podcast. <laughs> but, you know, and Adam gets to make the decisions. B- but for me, every year that goes by, like we initially, when we started Q. Nobody knew who we were. No one knew the product. So it makes sense to get in with the distributors because they could get product to all these retailers that we probably couldn't reach. You know, they can educate the retailers on us. 
And that probably happened some, but I think social media and stuff like that probably helped more than getting thousands of guns and stuff out there in the market. And you create, you know, a good quality brand um, that there's a demand for. And, you know, our demand was really created from a pool, not from distributors pushing our product. And we did it through our own internal marketing and by developing the best product. So, like, I wrestle with that constantly. Like, when I see pallets of guns going to a distributor, you know, I mean, this is this is me being the owner. I sit there and count the boxes, you know, like, quickly. I'm like, oh, God, that's $300,000. Okay, that's me giving, uh, you know, the owner of RSR a new Cadillac Escalade. That's what I just did. Yeah. You know, and it's like, is that helping my customer? Like, what's, what is the distributor providing for us? But I, I kind of think the same way as what you're saying. You have to deal with all the regulations and stuff of dealing with the distributor. And like, you know, for instance, RSR has been a great distributor. They're easy to work with. They pay their bills. But is it the best thing for who, you know, I'm most concerned with who is our customer? You know, the guy who's buying our product and using it at the range. You know, just like you dealing with brick and mortar. You know, you get to deal with, with the people there. Uh, they get to push product and educate people, and they have a customer base already that come in that are expecting that type of quality and design, and you, you get to interface with them kind of in a more direct way. You and I both sell physical products. Yeah. And the thing with physical products is it's great and all if someone goes on our website and likes it and buys it, but at the end of the day, it's also an experience for people to go to a store and discover our products by touching it and holding it and yeah. feeling it. And, um, you know, there is some value in that. I definitely would say that there is some value in the discovery process from people that have not, uh, you know, or that are not acquainted with our brands, walking yeah. in a store and seeing it and just becoming educated on it by the, by the owner of the store. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, like you said, yeah. the touch and the feel, because there's a lot of products that kind of look like the Honey Badger, but when you pick it up and it's a pound and a half lighter than other products or the fix, the ergonomics of that gun, our little bolt gun, it, it just feels so right compared to a lot of other guns. And it's something that you can't really convey without someone actually holding it and shooting it. A hundred percent. And that's what I experienced actually meeting you in Texas, getting oh, yeah. to hold your guns. But just to, you know, wrap up some of my thoughts on that previous section is just, uh, it's so heavily based on relationship. I'll just work with the stores that I like the guys essentially yeah. that like, you know, we've established a relationship over the years. We meet in Vegas, we go to dinner, shoot the breeze. And when the COVID lockdowns happened, um, like last year, a lot of the bigger brands out there in streetwear, like, you know, I actually don't even want to name names, but you know, like the big influential brands, right. they had to lay off their salespeople. They had to lay off a bunch of people working for them. That's what or, happens with yeah. the big companies in general. I mean, we went through it at SIG. Yeah. That was there two years, and we had three layoffs that total were almost 1,000 people in two years. Oh, wow. Yeah, and in so. the area, SIG is like, it's they're known for that. I mean, it's the 2015 one was like the big one. Yeah, um, it's 300 and something. Yeah, insane. Yeah, I mean, they're at 2,000 now, but it's constantly that. The big companies, I mean, you've got to sort of, you know, I mean, th that's one thing about being small and agile and creating a product with a lot of demand and being able to, to get a premium for the product. Y you know, like I've never, ever laid anyone off in 28 years. And, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and that that's, but you work for a big company. There are some perks, but 
overall, I think if you're passionate about the product and the process, um, a lot of times the smaller companies can offer you a better place to work. Those market conditions helped the smaller companies yeah. because when the lockdown started easing a bit, we had these these you know mom and pop shops from across the country calling us, begging us for product. They were like, yeah. "I can't get stuff from this big brand. I can't get stuff from this big brand. They're yeah. not even up and running. They have no one in the office. Like, what do you have? I just need something." And at the same time, I think even for the retailers, so many buyers got laid off on the big box retailer side, but these yeah. little mom pops, it's just, you know, owner run and they're yeah. same thing. Like, you got a something. husband and wife doing all the work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, you know, for me, I'm always, and, and I've talked about it before, but you know, when I was young, late teens, I worked in a gun store, gun store and gun range. And that's kind of where I got educated on like the retail side of it. And, you know, it's, so I, I always have a, a place in my heart for that. Cause I remember when Bass Pro Shop came to our town. You know, and um, all, but we knew all we had to do, we could give a better customer experience because we were more educated on the product and, um, you know, and having the range and all. But what I realized in going to Bass Pro Shop was you had no one there that understood or they didn't have the involvement or passion or they weren't invested into the place because they're just like, you know, some college kids on spring break or summer working at a big box store. It's very and different. You had, that, you had that rapport with all the, the local people who had already been coming to your yeah. shop. And so you've already built that relationship yeah, with them. The relationship and trust and, and, and all those sorts of things. Um, hmm. That is interesting. Yeah, we did meet in uh, tech. What was this event? Like, what was that event for? I have yeah. my own suspicion. How would you say? We went on an aerial pig hunt in Texas. And what was it? Well, Matt from Warm Fuzzy yeah. put it all together. So shout cool out to guy. him. Yep. And uh, he's just super connected. He's friends with a lot of people, and he seems to have had this idea to almost have a mini event or mini like trade show over there with just industry leaders and photographers, brand owners, creatives, and uh, and uh, yeah, you know, you you brought down some suppressed uh, honey badgers and sugar weasels for those of us that didn't have any, and the mini fix, and the mini fix. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, For me, it looked yeah. like a bunch of cool companies get together and sort of use that synergy and create a lot of content. Right. Is, is what the event was, which was great for me. I had a fucking blast. Yeah. Um, Matt created this group chat or maybe Breck created it. Uh, Breck from DGHD Collective, but it just kept snowballing into something bigger and bigger. Like we're in this group chat and then all of a sudden we hear, oh, there's going to be a band there on yeah. Friday night with fog machines and the band's coming down from Austin and... Oh, there will be ladies coming down from Houston who will be bartenders, and they're working on tips only, so tip them well. And the next thing is, oh, there will be an oyster bar there, too, and uh, two suckling pigs roasted. (laughs) I'm just like, all right, this is getting to be more elaborate than your average wedding or or bachelor party. Yeah. Um, And so I met you there, and we went up on on a helicopter hunt. You were in the front seat, and I was behind you. Appreciate you not shooting me. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So that was your first experience? That's right. Yeah. First, first animal you ever shot? First animal I ever <gasps> shot. So cool nice way to, to do this it. guy, man. Cool way to it do is it. a perfect situation, too, where, because there's right there on the water, you take off in the helicopter and we're going inland and we cross, you know, it's probably a couple hundred acre field. And the biggest boar I saw, and I saw hundreds of pigs on the entire trip, was in the m- exact middle of that field, had nowhere to go. And 
Yeah, he just stuck out there in the middle. The biggest boar I saw the whole time. And I'm like, hey, you never shot one, man. Have at it. And we just circled. It was just perfect. Yeah. yeah you probably I mean, get, you have video of this. No? Yeah, I do. I have GoPro footage. Kevin was such a good sport. He just let me have it. Yeah. So I had the sugar weasel and just hopped off and I got it. I wanted to shoot it, but I was like, man, maybe he'll bring me that one on one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that, that was great. Because, I mean, it, it was seriously the biggest boar I saw. He was alone in this big field. It was just a perfect situation right when we took off and got going. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah that kind of, I was going to say before it would be a departure, but you kind of segued into it. Being where you're from, I know you said you were into history and I, I guess military history too. And I would imagine you didn't have a ton of exposure to firearms growing up. Um, or, as far as I know, maybe you did. But so how have you been into guns for a while or is it always something that was kind of out of reach or like, where did you, where did you start? Cause I don't know a ton of people from where you're from that are either knowledgeable about guns or into them at all. Man, I would still, I mean, I consider myself a student of this stuff I mean, yep. every day. I'm still learning, you know, even just listening to this podcast, but um, I've always been interested. You know, I was a kid, I'd go to the library and, you know, borrow those eyewitness books yeah. about, you know, all the wars, the uniforms, the guns, and just was always reading about it. So um, I know a lot more about historical guns right. than I do about, you know, like modern parts and, you know, upgrades and things like that. But your but, family or nothing in the guns? No, no, no one in my family. Yeah, because yeah. where we're, you live and you probably can't even own guns there, I would imagine, or it's very difficult. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. So, so you get into that. What do you think you got into the, the whole military aspect of it? Or are you just like the uniforms and the camo and that sort of thing? Oh, just everything. Yeah. The, the military whole, aspect. Yeah. Especially. Um, yeah. and the, the, so when I shot the mini fix too, that was a first experience for me, like even shooting 300 blackout. Oh, that was the um, first time you shot 300 blackout. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Shooting it suppressed. Um, no less as well. Is that your first time shooting something with a silencer? No, no, no. Um, it's the first time shooting something awesome that was super quiet with a silencer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, what did you think? What was your impression of that? My impression was it was quieter than an airsoft gun. Yeah. Yeah. The sound of the round hitting the aluminum cans was quieter than the action, you know, than, than the gun itself. It's louder? You mean, what do you mean? The, did the I sound? say louder? You, you said, said quieter. the round hitting, the round impacting was quieter than the... Yeah, no, like, louder. Yeah, okay, yeah, I got you. Yeah, the round hitting the like, aluminum was louder. And it is impressive if you've not shot something subsonic. And it, it just makes shooting so fun. Because you, you remember when like we started doing it, like one guy over there shot something, and then it's just like, before you know it, 30 of us dudes are over there, you know, and everybody wants to shoot that and shoot this can that we're shooting up the bank and everything. And it, it just makes shooting so much more fun when it's quiet. Yeah. Yeah, we weren't shooting with ears at all, and even your sugar weasel in five five six, you know, with that can on it, it, we were fine with you know with no ears. Yeah, the trash panda. Remember, compared to that surefire can. That, yeah. That, oh my god, the thing was so loud. Yeah, Matt told me he was he was like I was there for the. He may have heard it on the when you told the story on the podcast or something, but he was like I was there with the whole trash panda surefire thing. He was like it was insane. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, if people think you were lying about it, you're not. <laughs> We've got other eyewitnesses. Yeah, no. so we could only shoot suppressed on that property. Right. And uh, at one point, someone was out there with a surefire. Right. And it did not sound very good. And Kevin just turned around and was like, is that one of mine? Uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, good. Just checking. Yeah. Just checking. 
It was horrible. It was horrible. The whole, oh, man. So I, I think it's a dream for a lot of people to get to go on a helicopter pig hunt. I mean, that, to me, just combines so many things that are great. It kind of ruined helicopter rides for me because <laughs> from now on, it's going to be like, am I just going to go on a helicopter and not <laughs> shoot <Boring>. guns? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> am I just merely enjoy the view and not yeah. kill animals? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great time. Yeah. It was sort of my introduction because I didn't know a lot of the companies until Jay and Colin at work started telling me about it. And uh, like Warm, I'd never even heard heard of them. So, so, you know, in forward observation, they were there as well. Like I never heard of any of these companies. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's like this whole underground, yeah, it's like a bunch of cousins or something. Yeah. Like you guys are doing a lot of things that are in the industry and kind of on, you know, the fringes of it and outside of it that are bringing something new to it. And I mean, it can't just be you and I, the only ones like it cause no, it's, it's like certainly popular. Britney Spears albums. I mean, they sell millions of them and ain't me and you buying them all. Yeah. Um, so uh, what other company, okay. What other companies? And I don't know, I don't want this to sound insulting, but I think, um, that are like yours that are, well, it shouldn't be insulting, bringing a new approach to this and doing new products. Like I consider Warm and Fuzzy and you guys sort of, you know, related Yeah. in that approach. What other companies are out there you think that you admire that are doing similar things? Well, um, like you said, there, there are communities within communities. Yeah. You know, this is definitely a corner of the subculture within a much greater subculture yeah, so within who, the culture. It's too, true. So who's in your community? Um, well, I mean, I definitely appreciate the work that Superior Defense has done. Uh, what do done, they do? Uh, well, they, they do uh, a multitude of things yeah. similar to like oh, Subdef. Yeah, exactly. you told yeah, me yeah, about that. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, they do a lot of graphics accessories. Uh, they do some nylon goods as well. And they recently, yeah. actually, just yesterday, they did a a collaboration with Spiritus. Yeah. Um, I learned to, about yeah. Spiritus. Yeah. Making yeah, fun of the, the ATF. AF, yeah, the yeah, AFT yeah. hats and stuff. Right. <laughs> I saw that. that was so good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so they, they actually really, uh, I would say they bring a certain style of photography to the table that at the time no one else was doing. Yeah. And I think that was really interesting to see. It was uh, very reminiscent of like skate culture and skate videos. Yeah. Um, I love it. Uh, privateer group. Um, I don't know that one. I heard of yeah. that one. Another similar company. Yeah. Right. Uh, they use the Blackbeard flag, but with a modification so that it, you know, they're holding an AR. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of brands that, uh, you know, are kind of in our corner of the subculture, but they all have their own unique thing. And so I don't know too many other guys out there doing, um, well, like cut and sew the way we are, but, yeah. but we're not doing patches and, and we're not yeah. doing like a ton of you know, really crazy graphics and those companies are doing really cool stuff in, yeah. in that vein. Um, yeah, I love yeah. some of the art like Matt has, has on his site mm. with warm fuzzy, like just some of the graphics that whether it's posters or t-shirts and yeah. stuff like that. I know I bought Vana a hoodie and stuff from him. It's cool. Warm yeah. fuzzy is a very unique flavor. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they love raccoons. Yeah. yeah he, he told me he's kind of transitioning away from the llama and going towards the raccoon. Yeah. And we just talked about it real briefly. And he's like, raccoons are sick. I was like, okay, yeah, that's really the only justification you need. Like, it's your company. Raccoons are great, man. When I, uh, when I first got night vision, actually last year, Goon and Gear very kindly lent me a PVS-14 for a week or two to just play with. And 
my buddy and I ended up going out in Jersey, just going to parks and stuff, looking at, you know, trying to see if we'll find animals. We ended up saving this raccoon that had fell into a trash can, and there was just a little hole opening on the top, and we heard this animal just yelping and, you know, crying. We saved it, and then we go out for more, and these raccoons are coming up to us under the night vision. They're, like, checking us out, edging closer, you know. They're, they're very bold animals, but, uh, yeah, raccoons are great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Warm Fuzzy, you know, he's he's a very uh, he's a very unique sense of humor with the way he runs his brand. His videos it shows like, with the graphics, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. same with Subdef, you know, the, the sense of humor that they yeah. have really shines through oh, their. their I love messaging. that. Everything should be fun and funny. Yeah, it's cool to see yeah. too. Like when you that kind of aesthetic that, and each each individual company or, or group is different, but that there's a similar aesthetic that I think everyone in that, like you're saying, that sub that subculture, that community can appreciate because you have guys like 176 or like Ford Observations where they're predominantly, they're not a, a clothing company or anything. They're predominantly doing training, stuff like that. And then they have, um, I guess, like a, a, a subsect of themselves where they're doing yeah. stuff. But their aesthetic is very similar to like, like you talked about Breck before, um, he's got a very, when you see his aesthetic, you're like, Oh, I, I, I know who that is. And so he does photography primarily. Yeah. He's a cool dude too. I just kind of yeah. was inter- introduced to him through you yeah, guys. Yeah, I met him on the hunt. Yeah. Very cool dude. Like again, yeah, I think he's super funny. Out, right. Yeah. I think yeah, he's coming nice. with, uh, Matt and Lorena. Nice. Um, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> but him auto seer, very, uh, clear. Oh, he was so cool. Yeah, you can just tell. Like, well, his photos. I get ex- like when I yeah. scroll through my Instagram feed and I see he's got a photo up. Oh, I love it. Yeah, he's so cool. Um, but it's I think it's cool to see that kind of it creates that sense of community because you you can see oh they're all a similar aesthetic. You can tell oh these guys are friends with these guys. That's really cool. I, I think I love that it's something new and I don't really understand it all and I don't know where it's gonna go and how it's going to affect things. I think that part to me is the most exciting part, you know, where I think it's uneasy for a lot of people, but I'm always like, okay with like, whatever pirates life, man, we're just going to go, we're going to go do this thing and we'll see what happens. Like if it feels right, there might be something there. Explore it. Yeah. The one thing I really appreciate about this subculture is that it's, it's definitely more collaborative than other communities and subcultures. I mean, you'll see any of these pages that we just mentioned, throwing up and tagging other pages yeah. Yeah. even if it's technically a competitor right. or whatever but you know they wear each other's patches they well, wear each other's tees we all support each you, other you know where where you're i think what you're saying is i had this conversation with uh someone else that's uh a big gun tuber that's coming up for a podcast i hadn't told you about yet and i, I need to know we worked it out last night uh what you're gonna fly and get him? Well, no, I um, to, no. we'll talk about <laughs> okay. it later. But um, and he brought up, you know, I told him, I said, while you're here, you know, we're like a mile from Sig. You should go see Sig as well. And that was like surprising to him. And I'm like, we're here on purpose because Sig is here. Like we recruit from there. It's a great company. It's just a big company. I don't want to work at, but they do a lot of things good. And he's like, well, you know, I know you guys are kind of at odds, and the Sig Cross, like they ripped off our fixed rifle, and I'm like. Number one, I mean, the, the asshole part of me laughs that they just had to recall all their guns. I'm not terribly mad about it, but I said, you know, I think that's what people would think. But I think, I said, you think we just got our marketing department together. Like we just started a marketing department, what, two months ago, Thomas? Is it been that long? <laughs> yeah, but, God the, damn but like really starting to put stuff out only a few months. Y- yeah. So 
we're just getting going now. And it's like, I've gotten free marketing all this time. And it really sucked when Instagram, you know, we were up to a hundred thousand and I wasn't doing any of the tagging and, um, uh, like hashtag or anything, it just organically. So we had huge engagement. We got to a hundred thousand, they deleted our account. And so I had to start obsessed a little bit of a bummer, but like, whatever. Um, but back to the sick thing, like we created the fix and it's difficult to explain. Like it's a utility gun is like predominantly what I call it, but it's creating a little niche within the market where we brought lots of things together and did some new stuff. And it's kind of a new category and I can't even explain it to you very well, but when sick decided to get in there and copy it and you know, as some people that left our company went there and took a gun and they, and you know, the great thing is they didn't copy the, cause they couldn't, we have IP on the most critical part, the innards and, but what they're doing is they're spending millions of dollars promoting this and it's this new category of stuff. And so you know, all they're going to do is create a bigger market. So I'm going to be able to sell more guns and I don't have to pay for the marketing. And everyone, when that or something comes up on that, everyone mentions our company and then people be like, but Kevin's an asshole. So don't buy his gun, you know, but now it's like, okay, they have recalls and stuff. And it's like, well, buy the best product. But I love the fact that these big companies It happened with silencers years ago too, almost 20 years ago. And it was real niche mom and pop, you know, probably the silencer business at its best was, was like your community within our community starting out, like you're in your infancy, like, where's it going to go? And then surefire jumps into silencers and it was a huge multi-million dollar company. They spent more in advertising than, than the entire silencer market made every year. And I'm like, this is awesome because they're going to educate and really grow the market. And they're making it mainstream by being a mainstream company entering this. And that's exactly what happened. The market just grew. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciation for the market makers is definitely a good take. Yeah. And so far as you said earlier that you don't think I could have sold this product, uh, well, like 20 years ago, yeah. I would even say maybe five to eight years ago. I'm not even sure yeah. if it would have been there because the, these subcultures really came up within the last four years. Social media makes it so easy. It can happen so much faster. Like when, like explain to my son who he and I share skateboarding together and we're 30 years difference in age. And it's like, I looked at Thrasher magazine and then once a year I would get a VHS tape of right. either a competition or that some silence or uh, some skateboard company would put out. And that was our exposure. Like, that was it. Like, you counted down the days till the Thrasher magazine showed up in the mailbox. Like, that's all you got to see. And to think now, you're like, you know what? We did the bomber jacket. It's kind of cool. I'm going to start an Instagram page. Get it. And then, bam, you know, you sell out every drop in minutes. Right. Like, you, you couldn't have done that. Like, when I was young, It's uh, that was just impossible. Yeah, so yeah, interesting to see. Too, like what you're saying, even, like you said, four or five years ago, I think the companies maybe not the ones we mentioned before, but I think companies in general, especially like gun companies, I don't think you would see work together. Um, and I think it would, I think be, you'll start to see it. I think, I you think will now. this is a trend that is yes. going to continue in our industry. Yeah. And I think that, I guess I just bring it back to the, the groups that we talked about before, but it's so cool to see the inclusion within an industry that is generally not super inclusive. Um, like you don't have a military background, but on this, on this trip that you guys were just on, like you had the guys from forward observations, a lot of still active duty. Like, I know soft it's guys. like me not having an engineering degree. Do right. I, if I have like six degree engineers that work under me, I, 
does he need a military background right. if he has the passion and interest, but then all of his community, like most of them do, that right. he's collabing with? Dude, you had war fighters, photographers, tattoo artists. I mean, it was really Kevin, a group of eccentrics. Whatever Kevin is. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you more about this trip real quick, because I didn't see you that much on night one, that Friday night. Yeah, I go to bed early. I don't stay out. I'm old. <laughs> I was up till 4 a.m. that night. Yeah, and, none uh, of you guys got up the next day. It, well, they <laughs> was hitting it hard in the morning. They don't have windows in those rooms oh, there, that, that so it's like a, a casino. Idea. There's no yeah. natural oh, light that yeah. comes in. So when your when your alarm goes off, whatever. Yeah, there's just no light in the room. Yeah, no. I mean, I mean, to you know, I I did more of that when I was more your age. Like, if I'm going down there, you know, for me, I won't say just business, but. I'm just not at that stage in my life. Like Matt and I were down there together, a friend of mine. Shout out to Matt. Appreciate the ride. Matt, Matt Gomez Tech. was a yeah, cool dude. Fucking awesome. But we wanted to like shoot pigs and get pictures of product. Like I don't, you know, and I don't think he drinks a ton. Like I probably drink daily, but I don't. And, and like, I'm so old now and stuff. If I like stay up and get super shit faced, like I'm like you, I'm getting up at four the next day. Like I'm not doing that, man. I, I'm not on a two or three day trip where I can get in a helicopter. I want, I don't want to be throwing up out of the thing. I want to be shooting pigs. So, and then the next yeah. night, like at eight o'clock, we went and laid down because we watched the UFC fight. So Matt and I were just, and I've been out like night hunting and stuff a lot. So, and when it's like, 30 40 guys with guns in the woods with night vision like i'm i'm all set man I, i'll be the asshole gets shot yeah like well i wish i'd i'd done what you did because the night the the saturday night when we all went uh you know hunting with the night vision yeah our group they broke us up in a group so like five six right. seven whatever i had a group of seven or eight with me and we didn't see a single hog all night we all did because you guys I mean, were we still paid yelling at each other um, but yeah, we saw, we actually saw one hog all night and it crossed the street right yeah. in front of us <laughs> yeah. and, and that was it. Yeah. Like I got a place in Georgia and like, uh, like I'll go, I'll be pig hunting tomorrow night and we'll shoot a pig and we'll sit down, uh, Ivana and I, like our, our best friends, they live next to our, my old farm in Georgia and we have an apartment and an outbuilding at their place now. And, um, so his whole family lives in this entire area He's related to everyone. Cause they've been there for like 250 years. And so we can hunt this entire area where we live, like have permission to hunt. And so we have cameras set up that text you pictures. And so when there's pigs there, we just get a picture. So we just hang out with the girls who are like barbecuing or like, we'll be shooting at his farm. And then we get a picture like, Oh God, there's pigs there right now. Okay. We got to go. We'll be back. And then we just have like, the, the Jeep set up with the guns in it and everything, and we just jump in and run over there. And she, it's so fun. So, yeah, I don't need to – and he and I do it at night too, so I, yeah, I don't need to go out with a bunch of dudes. Do well, you that, have night vision? Oh, yeah, and thermal. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I, I actually use thermal primarily. He, mm. Chad likes night vision a lot, but he, I've kind of been using the thermal now. Um, but I, I just have used it for so long and so much. I, I'm good with thermal. Like I'm not confused. You know, here's the thing. Like with night vision, if like there are some places set up where you can cold deer and you get permits for that. And with thermal, you can't see antlers unless they're in velvet generally. Um, so you need night vision for stuff like that. Or if you can't really, if you don't have good quality thermal, you can't make out what an animal animal is if you're not certain. Mm -hmm. 
but you know, it's thermals the easiest for me and it's typically what I use. But if I'm dry, if I want to drive around the farm, like with the lights off, I use night vision. But other than that, thermal is what I like. So. I don't have any of them. I just watch Kevin. <laughs> I go, oh, yeah. yeah, it looks good. I just got my first set of night vision um, no, about a month ago, a month or two ago, just in time for our oh, Texas yeah. trip. So, yeah. yeah, it was the dual tubes. Mm-hmm. Do you have a dual tube yeah. setup as yeah, well? Yeah. Cool. What, yeah. are you, what are you rocking? Right, right now, I just use the thermal. But I, I mean, I generally have. I don't. I don't get it all now, but typically, I'll end up trading or somehow getting just about everything that comes out. And then if I'm not using, I just don't use the night vision that more. I don't like wearing the helmets and shit either. But I tell you, when I first got my first set of dual tubes, and, and this is like years ago now. But, man, I tell you, I don't think I turned the lights on the house for, like, a week <laughs> at night. I would just, like, walk around doing stuff. And, um, you know, like I've always used it a lot. But I don't find that I have the need for night vision like I do thermal. So. Well, that's another thing with you, too, is that people who know know. But your entire career in the industry, it wasn't like it wasn't like most people where they're just like, Oh, I worked at Cabela's for a few years and then got into a gun company. Like you were around all these guys all the time. So I think the, the allure to it wasn't as strong as it is for some guys like us where well, uh, you see it and it's like, Oh, it's, the, it's unobtainable. The, yeah. Well, it was obtainable for me. And then I think I was very fortunate, you know, like we just had John Clements on and like working with his guys or whatever. Like I used to would go to, like we'll call it inside the fence or I'd go to some of the compounds, like some of the special operations groups. And I would be there for like a week doing a lot of stuff with them. And I would inevitably get to train and shoot a lot with them. And it helped them. Like if they taught me some of what they're doing, then from a product design standpoint, it made more sense to me. And then we, you know, we'd become friends too. And they would do a lot of testing and shit, even at my farm back then. And they would come down to evaluate product and stuff. Um, but you know what I would get to do is what you learn is within those groups, half the dudes that are shooters, like get are really into the gear and stuff and they really train a lot. And half the dudes are just like naturally great and they don't really aren't into guns or anything. It's just another tool to them and they don't. But I remember I was learning to shoot with thermal and then I, in long range. So we were backing up and it was like some of their, their training and I was super into it because, you know, it's like embarrassing if you suck and all right. that. And, and then for me, I'm like, oh, my God, I can start doing some my farm. I'm like, I can afford my own thermal. And I, you know, and I had a thousand yard range at my farm and I hunted all the time at night and stuff like that. You know, Chad and I did with pigs. But I got super into it. And so I just spent so much time doing it. And I remember I was on the range one day with one of the teams, like the head sniper. And we were we were shooting long range with thermal. And... uh he was making calls and I was like taking shots and I was doing like, okay. And he's like, and, and you know, and I remember asking him something. He's like, you're better than half the guys on the team with thermal. And I was like, why in the hell do you say, he says, the thing is like thermal, there is just no substitute. Like doing this, you have to come and train and use it. And he's like, a lot of guys, they just don't spend the time and effort and, you know, this is one of the things like golf or shooting a handgun. Like you have to be on the gun, like using the thermal to be effective with it. And, and that was cool. So I've just spent so much time with it, you know, and, and then having the ability to use it in my personal life. Cause I had land where we could hunt pigs and all that. And I mean, I've used thermal. I bet I've turned a thermal on every week for the past 12 or 15 years. Wow. Yeah. I no think that's, kidding. I think yeah. that's a disconnect that a lot of people don't, think of or recognize where it's like guys with that 
aren't around at all. The time. Like they just assume these soft guys are super into gear. They're that's all they're thinking about. That's all they want. Some but of it's them. like yeah, some of them. But then you talk like talking to Matt from Warm Fuzzy. Like he was like, I, I'm not a huge gun guy. He's like, I, I like a lot of stuff. He's tactics wise, but tactics wise, like all the experience that guy probably uses a gun more than any of us. But maybe not you. But they just assume all oh, these high speed guys, whatever. They're all about gear, and most of them aren't. Most of them are just like, yeah, I like guns. They're, I think they're cool. I'd love to learn about them, but, yeah, most, but they can use one. Most of them shoot when they're training, and they shoot right. like at their place, and that's it. And like to me, um, no, I I shoot probably every day yeah. to something. And, I mean, I know two days ago I was by myself. I went to my, my property here, and I shot, I don't know. Probably 300 rounds. I remember myself. you said you shot a ton, yeah. You know, I mean, you know what I shot a lot with? What was interesting, you know, uh, Leopold sent me that Delta Point Pro, so I put it on my hunting rifle. I'm taking to Africa, so my bolt gun. I'm taking a 6.5 and a 308. So I put the offset Delta. Oh, the 45, yeah. The 45. And so I, I wanted to zero that um, two days ago when I went, and, and I did that. And so I had still set up at 20 meters to 100 meters and just shot that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I probably shot two boxes of ammo just shooting that. Yeah. And, you know, and I was thinking, oh, I need this like inside 20 meters or whatever to shoot. But then it's like, oh, first shot. Oh, smaller target. Oh, this isn't bad. So I'm like, well, how far can I? And I just get like carried away. I just end up shooting like all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I uh, was very fortunate to get invited out to Arizona to go skydiving back in December by GBRS group. Yep. And uh, those guys cool. are former. <laughs> he he uh, crushes on them. Yeah. Uh, Naval I have the special biggest, warfare. I have the biggest dude crush on Slade. <laughs> yeah it, it, our last guest um he, he basically for that group ran all the arms room and arms development stuff for john like clemens years. yeah john yeah. Clemens. Yeah. yeah uh yeah so cool guys super nice of them to invite me out and um so that was my first time skydiving but they were out there training and there were these guys from france and yeah. switzerland out there training those guys and so I mean, I'm the one doofus up in the plane going tandem. Right, yeah. And, you know, it was actually a very nice, cute girl who was, you know, my instructor attached to me, very reassuring, like, oh, you're a natural, Mike. Okay. <laughs> just whispering in my ear, just, you're doing great. You're doing... But so they're flying. <laughs> and you're just trying not to piss yourself. <laughs> right. And and they're doing somersaults and oh, all yeah. these kinds of maneuvers. And they're down, they get down and they're like all frustrated. And they're reviewing the footage and they're just like... Man, I wasn't happy with my form. And then these Swiss guys are just like, you know, oh, yeah, so you're doing too much this. I don't yeah. want to see this. I want to see, you know, your back look like this. Yeah. And that was enlightening for me because, you know, I I was assuming that, like, dev guru, just, that's as good as it gets when it comes to just about anything that they do, whether it's skydiving or anything else. But it was so cool to get to see that they are constantly learning Always and they're learning. constantly being educated and that there are the, you know, they're... These guys specialize in training, um, you know, special operations guys. Right. On, yeah. on somebody yeah. teaches all of them yeah. all the little niche things they have to know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I actually didn't even expect to go skydiving that trip. Yeah. Uh, they were just like, "Hey, come just out, throw that on you." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No thanks. Jump out. <laughs> right. So you know, on the way there, um, they were just like, "Come out, you know, we'll get some content, and uh, you know, we'll review some samples with you," and when I get there, they're like, you ever gone skydiving before? I was like, no. They're like, want to go? 
Like, all right. What a great first experience yeah. story, though. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. No time to psych myself out. So I right. just, there That's was there were no nerves. Yeah. 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 Those, they're another as far we were talking this aesthetic, the way they film and the way they edit their stuff. Another very cool. So, aesthetic. so what, yeah. is, what are they called? GBRS group. And what, what do they do? They're all f- medically retired dev guru guys. Uh, yeah. They do a lot of training. I know John talked about them doing a lot of, um, they're doing some, Testing and stuff with the proof proof barrels. Okay. Um, I think they do media for people. I think they'll outsource and do some media stuff oh. for people. Um, I th- they just have their hand in a little bit of everything. And they sell merch. Yeah, they, they also do, do drops yeah, they and do. they sell like graphic tees and stuff. And I got to say Slade, who's one of the guys, he knows more. Yeah. <laughs> he knows more about apparel possibly than, than I do. Really? This guy knows terminology that i don't even know and you know he he knows a ton about denim specifically and he's the guy you know that wears the skinny jeans on, right you know, yeah. the crew oh todd askins crew <laughs> but uh the way you know like when we talk about samples I and mean, when he's on the phone with me he, he'll have such specific requests for anything from like you know the zipper to the type of flap on a pocket to the type of button he really knows his stuff and it's because he actually grew up caring about you know, apparel and, right. and, and garments. Is yeah, that a family business of his or anything or just something he just is interested in? And no, he doing it. he's yeah. just, I yeah. think he was in a skate or whatever growing up. Yeah. He grew up in Hawaii. And, oh. Yeah. And that's another just like, just like what we talked about where we assume these soft guys and, and tier one guys are, that's all they care about. The, like the gear, the mission, the guns, like all that stuff. But they all have regular interests. Like DJ was into skating. So he did tribe skates. Like, like you just said, Slade was into fashion, so he knows all about that. Like, I think people just—that's interesting. They just assume all the stuff. It's really great. Yeah, like twenty-five years ago, when I first was exposed to all that with those guys, it was like—I don't know—and a lot of my original exposure was like Army Rangers, and back then it was all Mancho. Yeah, super. Anything cool. that wasn't Mancho was, you know, you were gay. It was just like so stupid. Yeah. But so like, yeah. No, it's funny. I. I um, probably from 10 years before I sold advanced armament, maybe not that long, maybe like six or seven, I had a half pipe in the factory where I would skate and you know, all those guys and they come there for something. Cause we were close to Fort Benning always, you know, like make, make fun of you about it. Like whatever, man. But, um, the Swedes, their special forces, um, did a lot with us and they would come over once or twice a year to see us. And the guy who was in charge of their special operations at the time was like the 88-89 Swedish National Vert Champion. That's awesome. And, you know, like when I met him and all, he's the head of like their tier one group special operations and looks like a freaking linebacker or like a pro wrestler or looks like he would rip your arms off. And I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. And he's the only guy ever that just got on the ramp and skated it and like he thought it was so cool, and then to me, I'm like, ah, ah, look at that. Hmm. Yeah, it's not. It's, it is pretty cool, yeah, isn't it? Pretty cool. Yeah. You know these GBRS guys, right? Yeah. Uh, you know DJ. I don't so, know him, but right. I love him. So you know, <laughs> like, he's I'd got like his to, poster. Up. I'd like to know him. Yeah, he's got. I've got his poster on my wall. So he's one of the three guys, but he's the one that actually has his face like uh, blurred. Blo- yeah, blurred. Um, he's the unit. Like yeah. he's just a huge dude. It's like 250 pounds of probably like nearly 0% body fat. He's a monster. And um, 
man, like when he talks, he just has this bit like just deep, raspy voice too. Like like when he says something, and it's almost like you just want to get out of his way. He's scary. Um, Watching videos of him, I'm intimidated by him. Right. But yeah, I mean, you know, he's the one skating. I ended up going to buy groceries with Cole yeah. out there in Arizona. And it turns out that DJ just loves his ice cream and we're just there. Yeah. Just I think Todd, like the, Todd told us he like ran into Slade at like Chipotle or something. Like when Todd was here, Todd right. asked him, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I ran into Slade like at Chipotle last week or whatever. Like Virginia Beach. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it is cool to, I think the the point I tried to make before was just that people some people may idolize these people or they just put them on this pedestal and don't remember that they're av- they're people they're they're above average people they have skills that not everyone possesses but they're still just like us yeah there's yeah. more to their identity than their job right yeah um, it is interesting like when you think of people being famous and that's our version of it in our industry you know like whether it would be like a pro athlete or whatever like tiger woods you know or your man dmx yesterday Rest in peace to a king. I don't know, man. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, they have this job, then everything else is like normal people problems and yeah. interests. Well, even, I mean, I see it on a level or a, a different level, but even with you, like people assume they know who you are. They, they've they only seen X, Y, and Z from you. And then uh, even that trip you guys went on, like hearing, hearing stuff from all these guys that were there were like, oh, we heard X, Y, Z about Kevin. And then as soon as we meet him, like, completely different like super humble helpful all the stuff so i think you have a bit of a personality i've said it before you're like you're polarizing to some people on the internet and then when people actually get to meet you they're like oh he's just a regular dude just like us like he's just done a lot of cool stuff and i think that so you see it on all levels yeah i yeah. i went into that trip with none of that baggage yeah no preconceived notions about kevin so yeah when, when i met you mm. it was just like oh yeah thanks so much for lending me this uh this rifle and then we we actually just sat about sat around that fire pit and talked about family and raising kids for yeah like 40 minutes it, it's yeah because it's yeah. that's what you do have a day. gun company but much of my time is consumed with dealing with three children yeah yeah i mean it's yeah so it ends up a big part of my life right now um yeah that's that's a weird one i don't know you, you can embrace it too like with every industry or everything that goes on, there's always, you know, there always needs to be like a, a villain. You know, there always needs to be a hero. I, I mean, I remember growing up loving basketball. You know, the, the it was the Lakers and the Celtics, and the Celtics were the bad guys. But then it became the Pistons, you know, and Dennis Rodman. and eighty nine ninety. You always got to have somebody like that. And for me, like, I don't give a shit. Like, I didn't get in the industry to make friends. And... I love the fact that I can have my haters promote my products so I can spend my money on like whatever, growing the business or a swimming pool or going on hunting trips. I don't have to pay for marketing. Like, okay, run your mouth about me. Like as long as I make the best stuff, doesn't matter what you say. You know, like I know who I am. And yeah, so when you meet people who have other interests and it's interesting to me, you know, that's that's cool to me. Um, yeah. And you kind of just said something that, I guess it's a little bit of a segue, but I know you talked earlier about how the the general idea with Kilo is just you want to be doing stuff that's different. Right. Um, d- obviously, your stuff is high quality as well. Is that is that another tier of, of your thinking for, for that? Like you want to do something that's different, but you also want to do things that maybe maybe are innovative or or ingenuitive, or you just you're trying to get 
that next level of quality or do you not is it just like a it's just an you don't what's the question quality is a hundred percent man well, I that, mean, no 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 like very valid question because you know we actually don't make tees or hoodies out of blanks right i request fabric charts from our factories of different like thickness like 320 gsm for hoodies 340 we'll go up to even 400 gsm ounce weight for french terry or fleece and I'll like review in depth with my team these different fabric charts that we get, whether it's suede or different, you know, different thicknesses of the fleece, whether it's micro fleece or the Sherpa fleece. And, you know, even things as our tees, we're constantly upgrading. Our tees moving forward are actually going to be even thicker and softer. And because it's cut and sew, we specify the measurements. So it's really important to us actually that we don't just take blanks and print on them, but that everything is made from scratch see that's that's interesting because you're right it's probably different than anyone else in the industry unless it maybe it's like cry when they're making uniforms for guys or whatever but yeah um just that approach i think you did a very good job of explaining what i was trying to get to um (laughs) but it's just like i think there are certain companies that have that that's their motto is like we're different but they're not they're doing different designs or or like you said logos or whatever but they're not changing the game as far as like you said all the different samples of materials and trying to improve what's already been done what's different is the product category my personal favorite jacket that we've done yet is that multi-cam black puffer that yeah. we dropped in january just because no one's made a puffer right in this industry i mean maybe there are smaller puffers you know right. like the arcteryx they of course do really my cool, arcteryx like, yeah. one and god bless them they've always hooked me up a lot first time out elbow split Uh-oh. oh really yeah, I just puffer. mean the thick puffer. Yeah. Like oh, the, the North Face did. style puffer. No one I'll in show our particular you one. subculture. By the way, I brought one for you because I've du- <sighs> you know, I have like a double XL left. So. How's it feel, Kevin? <laughs> My man. Feels like I should have had that donut for breakfast and maybe I'd be the double XL. <laughs> That's true. I what? wear big clothes, baby. We big clothes. Is, is it one of one? Gang no, that no, one's not one, one of one. That's fine. Hey, listen, I don't need to be special. Just no, part of the gang. Not one of one. I got some for you. Hit him with the question. Hit him with it. Gucci or Louis Vuitton? Neither, man. I honestly don't really care about either one. Really? Yeah. They're not good quality? Not good design? What I, are you talking about? I just don't care. They're just so saturated. I'll tell you what. Their runway collections are actually where the interesting things happen. But like the Gucci monogram, the LV monogram, that's their least interesting stuff. And that's the thing that most people are acquainted with. You did a you did a, a Louis Vuitton little uh, nutsack thing. Or was it one of these? Yeah, He'll yeah, I, I did. Net. I did those. I did some of the slings. Convertible. We've done some ca- um, uh, gear out of it, but honestly, I don't find those to be our most interesting pieces. Well, why, why did you do them? Because um, it was different. You know, at the time, no one had done uh, a tactical pouch or sling out of those out of those uh, patterns, out I of agree. those designer things. So it was just something we wanted to try, really, just out of self amusement, and people really liked it, and right. we sold a bunch, but. Well, what are some big designers or brands in, in like the clothing space that you've been inspired by or like or admire or or has it got to be like niche like dark web to be cool to you like a big balming go yard guy man you know i actually like some of the stuff burberry's doing okay uh burberry they were one of the last to really get out of their mold of old-fashioned looks Mm -hmm. but recently they've been doing some streetwear stuff and i i like their cuts i like their materials i like the way it looks and i like that it isn't just super saturated everywhere like some of the other brands so burberry's kind of cool i like some of the collections prada's been coming out with um 
But again, I don't follow this stuff. Like, I don't even consider myself a fashion guy. I like apparel. I like garments. I like fabrics. I like products more so than, you know, the whole fashion thing. That's an interesting approach. Yeah, Yeah. it's a cool way to look at it. Yeah. What about you, Kevin? You Gucci or Louis guy? I know you got your Gucci flip-flops. You walk around in here all the time. I do? No. I think those are rainbow. It's from a song. You know what I do have? I have a Gucci watch that I got for Christmas in the sixth grade. What? Sixth grade, huh? Mm-hmm. I think I got some like underwear and socks in the sixth grade. Yeah, I mean, this was like my entire Christmas. I don't. I think it was probably like two hundred fifty, three hundred bucks. And I'm sure my birthday is two weeks after Christmas. It was probably a, a combo gift, if I'm guessing. You get fucked on that whole deal, <laughs> but um, yeah, I do. And it's a uh, black rectangular face, Roman numerals, gold hands, gold um, like bezel three black stripes on the outside of it and some sort of uh, fake lizard Sweet. black uh, band. Yeah. Is you wear some... glasses, right? Yeah, as of like two years ago. Do you uh, do you wear any like cool glasses, any brands that you might rock? Nope. I get them when... Uh, from Walgreens? My assistant gives them to me or <laughs> uh, th- these were from Walgreens. Yeah, I, I mean, at some point... Because I don't want to fully commit to the glasses. I'm thinking I'm going to go get LASIK. So, um, but yeah, if I do not and I continue to have to wear glasses on a daily basis, I am going to put some effort into doing something cool. That's one thing I might actually explore is designer glasses. I was going to say, is that something you're into like frames or like even the watch type thing? Is that anything that you're interested in? I'm just getting into it. I picked up Oliver Peoples glasses a few Mm -hmm. months ago just because in American Psycho, Patrick Bateman wears Oliver Peoples. And I passed by one of their stores, and they do have some nice frames, some of which have been in, in stock for them since the 70s. They, wow. they still sell those same frames. Huh. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I've, All that. I mean, any sort I've of stuff. I've had glasses since I was in third grade, but I just run contacts 100% of the time. So. Oh, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I'll be getting eye surgery before contacts, if possible. I don't think I could deal with the contacts. Really? I'm not, well, it is I'm too irresponsible and not organized enough. To, I think live that contact life. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. I completely agree with Kevin. I, contacts sound like high maintenance and uh, yeah. and, and responsibility. Yeah, I mean, look at his hair. He's used to high maintenance. Huh. Okay. So that's interesting, though. I like it. You're into the the cuts and the fabrics and stuff like that more than just inspired by fashion. All right. Speaking of fashion, how about gun fashion? You like the old AR or the AK? I started off as an AK guy. Wow. Um, Our first now one. I'm more into ARs, but I'll always have a love for the AKs. I definitely really? started off as almost like a no. I don't. I don't even want an AR because everyone has an AR. Oh, one of those uh, things. Yeah. yeah. One of well, those guys. the irony of that man is uh, pretty sure there's a lot more AKs in the world than ARs. Just saying. Yeah. I soon learned though that you know the ergonomics of the AK is just so front heavy. Generally speaking. Yeah, the ergonomics are dog shit on an AK. Right, right. That's facts. And then really just learning about how the receivers work and how you get the upper and the lower with AR and you can just have multiple uppers and, you know, they're just so modular. At this point, I'm an AR guy, but um, AKs have a special place in my heart. Still has love for his history. Yeah, he's yeah. got love for the, the block. Not so much the streets, <laughs> the, but the, the communist yeah, block. The block. Yeah. All right. <laughs> with, with that said, Glock or CZ? Um, at this time, CZ. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 Uh, Glock 19 was my favorite. 
until I shot a CZ P10C, and the ergonomics just worked a bit better for me. Yeah, CZ makes nice stuff. Ergonomics good. Yeah, I like CZ. They're definitely more comfortable guns than a Glock. I got a little yeah. bitch hands, but mm. I love love my Glock. What too, about you? Too small to drop. I, I mean, I think it depends. You know, it's a tool you put it in the toolbox. Like if if I'm carrying a gun and I, I need it to to rely on it to help save my life, I like a Glock. But CZ, the CZ seventy five, very prolific military gun. Um, but ergonomically, or, or some of the CZ target guns, I mean, how can you not love them if you shoot them? So it's it's. I mean, I'm not a snob about it. It's like for me, it, you know, it, it's it's a tool in the sense of I get a Glock. Yeah, for that reason, I have a ton of Glocks, but they're all to like one in each car, or you know, scatter them throughout the house, or like whatever the situation is. But it's it's just a tool to save my life, and if I'm target shooting and I shoot the Glocks a lot and I think I need to because I'll carry a Glock but it is not my pick in any capacity if we're just going over the property and going to shoot steel all day for recreation and fun like if Vaughn and I go shoot I'll shoot you know I'll run a couple box of ammo through the Glock and then set it down and you know maybe shoot a few rounds before I reholster it to carry it but the bulk would be yeah with a CZ or something comparable I shoot rimfire a ton for mm. pistol actually so Hammerly, if mm. you really want to know. Uh, yeah, I'm not even asking you. I already said it. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Favorite military historical firearm. Oh, man. There's only one that's, right answer, but go ahead. That's a hard one. Because I just love all of them. I yeah? mean, they're, yeah. Well, what's, what's the right answer to you? No, I don't know. I was talking shit. Um, Stoner 63. I don't, man, I'm so old, I don't even consider that really historical. But I do, yes, I love the Stoner 63A. Mm-hmm. Uh, the FG42. Okay, yeah. The yeah, Cern the Gevere, It's probably, um, or, you know, the false, they, that gun just did so many cool things, and it was such a kind of a different approach, and the concept of it, uh, I mean, most of the German stuff, I just love. Um, you know, the Sturmgewehr, you know, sort of like coined as the first assault rifle. That was interesting, but the FG-42 is just, it's a real cartridge. It's a compact, lightweight gun. Um, you know, the flip-up sights, the scope mount, the side feed mag, um, that, you know, the butt stock absorbs the recoil it moves to help with a, a lightweight, full-power cartridge. It was way ahead of its time. And, you know, I've heard you speak about aesthetic and how important it is to everything. And uh, aesthetically speaking, the FG-42, it even has two versions, you know, like yeah, the, the really angled. Yeah, the, the first and, version, yeah. Yeah, and then the second both look great. FG-42 is a good pick. I think it's really cool how the M250 Cal is just like the just about the longest serving weapon Super ever. simple looking, just a box with a barrel on the end of it. Right. It's iconic. I mean, all, all those Browning designs, the 1919 A4 is another one that would be in my top two or three. And of course, like the MG42, like, I don't think I have that different of taste than, no. but you know, I, I, um, yeah, still go back to the FG42. I think my favorite cool. to shoot is probably, I love shooting the M2 and I've got a couple of them and, but now ammo is so expensive. It turns me off a bit. But the 1919 A4, so like a 30 caliber smaller version of it that was really prolific, 
It's like the best shooting gun, and there are cloth belts, and there's a belt loader for that that's almost as fun as shooting the gun. They're reliable, and, I mean, John Browning was just such a genius. I like a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Um, I did get to shoot a full-auto MP40, mm-hmm. and that thing is just so controllable. They yeah, shoot low they shoot cycle really rate, well. right? Yeah. 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 yeah, low cycle rate. I think 550 to 600. Mm. But ergonomically, it's a little weird. The stock is shit on it. I don't yeah, like that. Right. And the single position feed magazine of guns of that air, the open bolt 9mm, they're so hard to load. It's a bitch, so the mags suck. Shooting the gun now, it's a great shooting gun. But a lot of the guns of that generation, are they shoot. They're just really easy to shoot. Heavy, blowback, open bolt guns. Most of it, I mean, a lot of the German stuff was good. I mean, mm-hmm. so good. Some of the World War One era stuff, it was a little, it's like they were getting some French influence. You know, like the Luger is iconic, and it, it looks amazing. It's very interesting. That toggle action stupid. Well, right after that, I got to shoot the MP5 SD full auto, mm-hmm. and that's probably my answer to your question. Really? Is that it's, you know, it's recent. I haven't shot an FG42 yet. Um, and you but, may, may never. But, yeah. yeah. Um, mag dumping the MP5 SD was just, uh, it was easy and it was fun. Yeah. Maybe that should be my, maybe that should have been my choice with the whole silencer thing and all, but maybe the honey badger is the most significant one. Um, yeah, the MP5 SD is a lot of people's favorites. I mean, that was my, all my kids favorite for a long time. You know, Ivana loves it. You know, it's so funny too. Like somebody was you know, being a bit uh, douchey with me on a, a, a forum last night, I responded to a question I got emailed to me, and his talked about how, like, the Rattler was far superior to the Honey Badger. And one of his main points is, well, it's a piston gun, and they're they're better. Like, okay, how's that how? better? Well, yeah. it's cleaner. <clears throat> well, mm, not really, not with a sign. And it's it's like well everybody knows like AR gets dirty because with the silencer because the all the debris goes rather I guess he thinks rather than coming down the barrel where it actually goes goes up through the gas system in the gun and it it makes it gassier than a piston gun it's like okay well then why is the MP5 like the gassiest gun in the world like that thing's roller delayed blowback there is no gas system and dump a mag through that and see if you can breathe. also go shoot a four sixteen they're tragically overgassed yeah yeah I mean they work but. Like a piston gun. Yeah. But the SD, it that is a great gun to get anyone enjoy uh to enjoy shooting. Right. Like it just truly is. All right. Oh. Okay, this one actually this one actually came from Ivana. Let's see. So Brooklyn or Manhattan? Oh man. She would say, and with her yeah, no, she would Nazi say accent, yeah, she would say there's only one answer. She's a blood killer. That's why she'd go, she'd crap. I've, yeah. I've had good times at both. There was an entire era of my life where I was part of the Brooklyn, like, underground techno scene where it was just going to these, like, oh, what? like warehouse Get the glow parties. sticks. Turn the lights <laughs> off. No, no glow sticks. Oh, We're talking just sure. grungy, like, dark warehouses with, like, dark techno and... uh yeah, I mean that was I'm Brooklyn. Techno Viking. I don't want to go. Yeah, I do. Uh. I don't want to go to this. You don't want to go. Don't no, you want to no. see Mike there? Totally. That's true. Okay. Yeah. If, if you can like vouch for me when they give me the who do you know? Well, yeah, then say. then what about Manhattan? Is it that you like? Well, some people think that raves are like glow sticks, and you know, 
this sort of thing. Yeah, but we've seen these, the documentaries. The, these raves are like no one's smiling. No one actually looks oh, happy. Just Everyone just be. smokes cigarettes and wears black and like looks down <laughs> and just does this <laughs> dance. Sounds Ooh, like yeah. high school. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> now Manhattan has. I do a lot of Manhattan these days just because there's such a there's such a variety of uh, different neighborhoods in short distance. You know, um, you know, all my favorite restaurants right now are in Manhattan. Um, but you know what? At the end of the day. I'm actually going to give it to Brooklyn. Brooklyn Banks. Yeah. Brooklyn, because of the amount of cultural artists and you know musicians, and it's just disproportionate the amount of people that have come out of Brooklyn and affected world, you know, or U.S. culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Nas or Jay Z. I'm going to give it to Nas, man. There it is. <laughs> there it um, is. Made Jay's day. Yeah, Jay-Z, I was never that big of a fan of his voice, to be honest. No, he does a lot of talking like Johnny Cash did, too. He's the Johnny mm. Cash of, of rap. <laughs> I like Reasonable Doubt, his first album. The instrumentals are good, but I like Illmatic more. Yeah. And, yeah. He hates is. Illmatic, old Nas. I think he's just sick of it. Because it's like, he's got all this work, and he's just known for Illmatic. Hey, do do Illmatic. So, yeah, I've heard him speak that he's not the biggest fan of of Illmatic. I've often wondered about that, like bands or artists that have like 20, 30, 40 year careers going on stage and all like headlining festivals. No one wants to hear them do their latest work. No. They want to hear them do the thing that they've been doing for 20, 30 years. But also imagine going up and playing Sweet Home Alabama again. Like how many times have they played that? Yeah, but the reaction you get yeah. from the crowd when That's that true. comes on. That's man. true. I mean, it's got to be it. Otherwise, you couldn't do it. You, you'd become an alcoholic drug addict. I'm sure they did that too. Yeah. Well, what? So for the other Q, Kilo Tactical, what's up? How are you going to grow this? What are the next things you're doing? Um, we're definitely going more into outerwear. Outerwear has always been the thing that I've thought it's the coolest. I mean, just for someone who lives in the Northeast and it's cold, mm. I just love jackets mm. because jackets are something that um, you could just wear a T-shirt and put on a puffer. Or you can really, if it's fall or spring, you could really layer and work with all different kinds of thicknesses, you know. Um, yeah, the chore jackets that you're doing are, are really cool. And they just, they look good and they're purpose built. But Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, and that's our newest category that we added was, was the chore coat. But, you know, one thing that's cool about fall in the Northeast is you can have a t-shirt and then a button down and then a jacket on top of that. Um, for the Sherpa that you're wearing, it's actually, it's actually highly breathable. Um, wind passes right through it, so the idea here is that if you walk outside, it'll keep you warm, but you're not gonna you're not gonna end up swampy in there. But if it's really like really cold, um, I've actually worn hard a cordura, shell. a hard shell underneath it, and then that insulates it. Mm -hmm. um, oh. Yeah. Um, so what's next for us is yeah, we just want to keep making new product categories. Probably going to do more puffers since the puffer we're going to do more color variations of the sherp that you're wearing. And I might revisit Bombers uh, at some point. Um, and the other thing that I really enjoy doing is nylon. Uh, we've we've made backpacks. We've made the uh, you know the pouch that you're wearing, the yeah. convertible, and that's that stuff's all U.S. made and um, U.S. sourced as well. Oh, and wow. just just making different kinds of products. That's in, pretty in rare the nylon now. category. And one thing about nylon is you almost never get returns or exchanges because it's one size. 
Yeah, you know, with any given drop of apparel, there's going to be someone that's going to return or exchange it right. because oh, it didn't fit. But with an accessory, it's yeah, that's that's it. That's so, great. Yeah, yeah awesome. bags. I mean, we need bags. We're just like women. We need bags. Yeah. You, you know what I think I'm going to put in this in Africa? What? I don't know. Maybe Rhodesian. Maybe I shouldn't wear it in Africa. I don't yeah, know. Be careful. My small binoculars. Oh yeah, they fit the, with perfectly the, in here with the rangefinder on. No, that that pair is too big, too big, and I don't like wearing them around my neck or having that harness on because I've got a little harness for them, mm. but it's aggravating. So I generally, if we're getting out of a vehicle, I have a little backpack and I have them in there. I just like having my gun, but this is so small. I'll keep the small ones in here because they're half the stuff I'll shoot. I won't need to range. Like it'll be inside 150 meters. Right. No need to range, but I can check it out. Fits perfectly. I checked when we were on our break. Perfect. That's what I'm going to put in here, I think, in my bait. That that <laughs> pouch prevents me from losing my wallet, keys, phone, you know, mask, five-hour energy, AirPods, yeah. whatever it is you want. It's just a it pocket dump. It is just big enough for a man. Yeah, you've got yours. Yeah. Multicam black right here. Yeah, this yeah. is cooler, but I mean, that one's okay. But uh, how many times have you been to Africa? Uh, who's asking <laughs> <laughs> why you why? want to know <laughs> i just i find it interesting because uh um, i haven't been africa yet know. obviously oh, you're not go i'll bring you should go it's you know it's so cheap right now because it just opened back up so i'm going with field ethos and it's a hunting show thing so um but overall you, you can go to africa now because you know they were shut down for a year so south africa a lot safari and um uh, you know both just like visual or photography and and shooting those are huge huge um you know uh, sources of tourism and uh, of their economy and they're shut down for a year so a lot of places went out of business and they're just trying to get people okay to go back there now so now you can go on a seven animal safari for the price of one two years ago Wow. So it, it's like so cheap. If you're not afraid to travel right now, it's stupid not to go. Like you can Let's do go to Africa. way more Let's bang for the buck. Yeah. I mean, it's literally like 15 cents on the dollar. Because those trips, usually, because you know what happens is I'll go with kind of a budget in my mind. And you get there and you're like, well, shit. And every day I see that might not be <laughs> back here. Oh, that would be cool. And, you know, your guide's like, hey, we can go up over the, the, the mountain. But, and, and, you know, and. Part of the adventure to me is is we don't know what's going to happen. And so, you know, I, I don't like just riding around the truck and shooting some stuff to bring back to mount on the wall. And, I, and I'm okay with that if that's your thing. And I actually like doing that fine. But what I like is to ride around, see everything, and then we spot and stalk. And, because that's where all the adventure happens, you know. And, and um, that's the part that I, that I love. Um, you know, besides shooting animals, I like that too. Mm. But... Um, but I'll go there. Um, you know, ho- hopefully either we'll see if we can get in and out this year, but I want to go to Poland on a hunt, uh, a red, red deer hunt stag. Uh, I'll go to New Zealand at the beginning of next year. Um, you know, and I had a bunch of trips last year that were canceled, but because of COVID, it's changed my hunting a little bit because the international travel and who knows what's going to happen, you know, vaccine wise and, they just keep shutting stuff down. Like our trip to Africa has actually been in the last two months has been rescheduled three times. So it's been kind of a, if I were in charge of it, I would have just canceled it. It's a pain in the ass, but I'm not. So they do it for me, whatever. 
but um it's made me really focus on hunting north america well america because canada is still Mm. screwed up too but um so alaska out west um i'm going on every trip i can the next few years and planning them in america because it's just you know because i focus on the rest of the world because it's interesting and it's fun and i get away and i see places i haven't seen but hell i mean uh, ivan and i bought back in december or november a vintage land cruiser in jackson hole Wyoming and drove it all the way back to New Hampshire and, and we wanted to do it for several reasons but one was we're never going to go through that part of the country for any other reason and and it was awesome we had a great adventure and um we saw stuff that we would never see otherwise and you know you realize it shows you how vast the country is and how diverse it is and it's like I should do more of the hunting here like, what's some of the stuff you saw Oh my God, in the Midwest, you see just beautiful stuff and places you like understand why you've never been there and don't live there. One funny thing is, I don't know if it was in Minnesota or somewhere, some little town they have. So the Jolly Green Giant, mm. so they can a bunch of those uh, green vegetables, I guess, in this town. And they had a 60 foot statue that is world famous, apparently, of the Jolly Green Giant. We have pictures from that. Um, you know, some experiences, two or three nights we slept at a, in truck stops just in the back of the Land Cruiser, and we'd, like, watch shows on the iPad and drink beers and fall asleep and get up and drive again. And that was super cool. Like, the shit that we saw happen at truck stops oh, yeah. in the parking lot at night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. it's just a different world, man. Um, but the Midwest, you know, and, and they were harvesting a bunch of stuff at the time. It's just beautiful, just land and small-town America. You know, that I, I don't know that Ivana had ever even really seen, you know, you know, where I'd been exposed to, but you know, these towns where there's 300 people and you know, you stop at the little cafe, I just see in America, man, it's just just stumble upon stuff. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, we went in South Dakota, we stopped and went on an elk hunt just, just because, (laughs) and that was a great time. Um, you know, I probably would never have seen Rushmore if it weren't for this trip, Mount Rushmore. Uh, Devil's Tower, which I think is in northeast Wyoming, maybe? Yeah, I think so. I didn't even know about, and it's just an incredible piece of nature to see. Um, you know, it's just all fascinating to me. I love travel. I love the adventure, seeing, doing anything. Yeah, I, I, I really love it out west. Haven't yeah. done uh, too many small towns, but you know, got to do a little bit of everything in Colorado yeah. in 2019 where – Went to Alamosa, where the great, great sand dunes are, uh, the Sand Dune National Park or whatever it's called, and got to see the Black Canyon of the Gunnison. Super cool stuff out west. I mean, you know, yeah. there are things out west that aren't even a state park, but would be a national right. park oh, if it were here. It would be a national park, yeah. but over out there, you just drive past it. And, I mean, you're right. It it is so incredible. Like we we went to Grand Teton and then Yellowstone and devil's tower but then like through the black hills in um the badlands national park holy shit was that cool you know and you're right just so many beautiful things i mean i think roosevelt was like he picked up a bunch of stuff like yellowstone like hell we can't make the entire west a park you know and so that's probably a good representation of a lot of that stuff yeah the u.s is so big too and i think most of the people and i say i say most a lot of people here just never get out of their own little bubble for whatever reason, whether they don't, they don't 
feel they have the opportunity to or they just are never into it. But if you have the ability to just see the different parts of the U.S., you really should. Oh, yeah. You went on a mo- motorcycle trip out there. Yeah. We were out there. You and I were out there at about the same time. I was south of you. But, yeah, I did five states on a motorcycle and just camped the whole way. And it was – I mean, yeah. I, I used to be stationed out there so I was in Utah, so I was fairly familiar with the area. But, oh, yeah, yeah. But – doing on a motorcycle completely different oh yeah riding around just the town you're from on a motorcycle is different it's it's a fun adventure i you know it's interesting like the midwest i love because hunting like i love whitetail deer hunting and the midwest has the biggest um and i love the people in the midwest and a couple of our engineers midwest farm kids are fucking awesome people their families are but but other than that, it's a flat and you can grow a bunch of vegetation and there's big deer and people are good. But yeah, going out West, I think a lot of places people wouldn't even think about and even great hunting, but seeing like Utah, holy shit is Utah a beautiful place and some of the best elk hunting there. They got great mule deer. I mean, it's, it's a great destination to hunt. So is Colorado. You know, there's parts of Nevada that are incredible. And, you know, for me, a fascinating trip that I went on the U S was I started in Tucson once and I spent two weeks and I think I maybe ended up the Grand Canyon or in Vegas maybe, but I'm um, just going up through there and seeing your, the desert fascinated me when I was a kid from the East coast and I still love it. Mm. Um, but starting like in the desert and then you go up through there and then going through the towns. I don't know if you've ever been there, but like Jerome and Sedona and Jerome's a real like artsy town with lots of stuff in that. But Sedona, like Red Rocks, it's where they filmed a bunch of the John Wayne movies and stuff like that. And uh, go on a biplane ride there. That's something you'll remember the rest of your life. And then, you know, just going on up north there to, uh, what's it starts with? Flagstaff, Flagstaff yeah. where all the and, skiing and you're is at, so beautiful. Yeah, you're at altitude. You think, like, I'm in Arizona, I'm in the desert, and oh. then Flagstaff, you're just way up high. Yeah, that's cool. Anyway. Have you done the uh, the Moab area? Yeah, Utah? so yeah, so I, I actually, on this trip, I got stuck in Moab for two days because it snowed on both sides of us. But um, probably the best four days of my life, for sure, uh, I spent in Moab when I back in 2015 or something when I was in the military. Um, just camped out in the middle of the desert in an area that you're it's not set up for camping, um, and it was just that whole area is unbelievable. And then, like we just talked about, doing it on a motorcycle is a completely different animal. Like mm-hmm. being out in it, that whole area, that whole Canyonlands area is insane. If you've never been through it, it's insane. Yeah, I was just dirt biking there in September. Yep. It was super cool at yeah. the Arches National Park and stuff. But yep. um, um, right before the tyrannical lockdowns in uh, late 2019, I actually got to go to Central Asia and do, do the Stan countries. You know, So cool. we started in Turkmenistan oh. and went through Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, and finished up in Kazakhstan. So all the stands. All, all the stands, stands except for Afghanistan <laughs> yeah. and Pakistan. Um, and... I didn't realize how different those countries are actually from one another. Me, yeah. So Turkmenistan has the unique, uh, well, has, has the unique award of being, I think, like the second most closed off country in the world to journalists right after North Korea. Or maybe third, it's like after North Korea and like Eritrea or something yeah. like that. And um, it's really hard to get a visa there. It's, it's hard to travel there. You could only travel there as a tourist if you sign up with a tourist group. Hmm. And these groups are... You know, I'm sure they're government monitored. Yeah. And you go there and 
It's really freaky. The capital is Ashgabat. It holds, it holds the Guinness World Record for the most amount of white marble in any city. And you go, and it's the cleanest city I've ever seen. Even people from Singapore, apparently, are freaked out by how clean it is. Not a single cigarette butt on the streets. Not a single leaf, even. And it's just all immaculate marble. And it's like, what's going on here? Like, like what? Right? And, um, yeah, I mean, there's a cult of personality. There's this president there. Gurban Guli, Bertie Muhammadov, and he's like, uh, I think he's been there for like 15 years or so. And there are no advertisements in this entire country. There are no billboards. Weird. The only billboards you see up are pictures that. of this guy. <laughs> and, 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 and he's... I'm in charge. He's riding horses. He's driving trucks. He like races trucks. It shows him like, with you know, like praying or whatever it is. But he's, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just such a character and... Do you see any guns or camo? I mean, uh, yeah, so the, I have a border story there, actually, of getting stopped at the border for, like, several hours. And, uh, you know, we actually almost got into some pretty big trouble. So, very weed. clean city. Weed. It, 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 take weed. It turns out there's a curfew there at 11 p.m. in the capital city. And there's just, it's simply a curfew. And, and you, you found out. out the hard way. Uh, well, it wasn't that. I, I went out to the bars just just to check it out, see see what the bar scene is out there. Find a rave. But every other block has this little like guard station where there's police or whatever, like um, paramilitaries just stationed on every other block. And it did feel like the safest place I've ever been. I mean, it honestly felt safer than New York. It felt safer than any other U.S. Safer city. Safer than New York. Yeah. Yeah. Safer <laughs> than any European city I've been to. But at the same time, it was very. Dude, every car in that country is white or silver. Hmm. Like, they, they just don't deviate from, like, the norms. You pass by universities. Everyone is dressed the, the exact same. Um, Sounds like a weird movie set. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Not trying, I'm not trying to do that. It looked like a socialist, like, utopia, like, futurist utopia mixed with a little bit of, like, mainstream Islam in, in their architecture. It's, it's giving me anxiety. Yeah, yeah I'm all good. So we're at the border, and uh, we're crossing into Uzbekistan, and these guys come on our bus. They're wearing like ninety, like eighties, nineties old Russian camo, that two color Berezka yeah, yeah. stuff with the leather belt and the leather boots. And they come in, they look at everyone's passport, and they look at mine. They just take my passport. They took my sister's passport. Took my mother's passport, and um, got off the bus. And it was just just us three. They took our passports. They didn't tell you to come with them? No, they just took our passports. And then they came back, and they're like, they gave it back to us. And they're like, yeah, you're going to have to go to the next spot and resolve this. And we're like, all right, whatever. We get ushered into this tiny room just crowded with, like, you know, like the, the local Uzbeks and Turkmen's, these people. They just they just formed some space for us, you know, tourists to go through. We go through to the next room, and there they confiscated our passports again. And what it turns out what happened was when we flew in, um, our flight arrived half an hour ahead of schedule. So when they stamped our visas, uh, when we entered the country, it was five minutes before midnight. Our visas were technically expired because oh. we overstayed it by like a day. Right. But that, that only happened because our flight landed early. And for that, we were we were fined a thousand U.S. dollars, and Each we were th- or a total a total yeah. But we were there for uh, gee, like somebody's like, got to pay to clean that marble. Like six to eight hours, we were in this like little border station, and they escorted us upstairs, and we were 
speaking to this very serious looking man, you know, the type of type of guy that just never smiles and just has a, you know, these wide cheekbones, very, you know, very, very austere looking guy. And our the translator, you know, the interpreter for our, our trip was the one mediating this. And he was telling us uh, that the guy was saying, all right, so you have option one, which is you pay the fine, you go into Uzbekistan or option two, you don't pay the fine and we deport you. And I were thinking, yeah, look, we're trying to leave your country yeah, right so now. Yeah. So like, what's the, yeah, can you just deport us right there? And, you know, my sister was all zealous and stuff. My mother, who grew up under communism, knew that it was not that simple. And Yeah, your hearing will be eight Thursdays <laughs> yeah. from 2028. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. And so we were, you know, I think it was like, can we hear about the, more about the, uh, deportation option. Yeah. yeah, you sit in and this a, room for three years. Right. And the, again, the uh, the interpreter, you know, our tour guide, he just turned around. He kind of gave us this look like, yeah, again, you can either pay this fine or you'll get deported. And he kind of gave us this head shake. Yeah. My mother immediately understood that look. Yeah. And she was just like, all right, we'll pay the fine. Um, you don't want to be deported a cri- basically you you just admitted guilt into being like a criminal in the state of turkmenistan i've seen midnight express not trying to do that <laughs> yeah not trying right. to do that yeah. so we had to pay cash and then they counted the cash by hand but even by then they had left for dinner so we had to wait even longer and i'm just you know i'm and just then the extension it. on the visa expired yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you have That's to pay crazy. again it's, it's oh it's so well crazy. man i'm glad you made it out i'm glad they didn't shoot you yeah. I don't know. It would have made for a good story, though, since you're into like the industry now and camo and whatnot. But well, speaking of camo, you know, like when we crossed into Uzbekistan, you had to walk like a quarter mile in between this border. It was all barbed wire and like you know, just really militarized. And as soon as you go to Uzbekistan, they went from looking like these Soviet dudes wearing Berezka camo to like American-looking helmets wearing UCP digital camo, hmm. but they're holding AKs. And the first thing you hear from them in English is, hi, welcome to Uzbekistan. And I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, and yeah, by the way, most websites are blocked in Turkmenistan. So just that process of going to Uzbekistan, yeah, like, as soon as you're on the other side, you're like back on Facebook, yeah, you're back on social media, you're back on, you know, you see ads. It's like a normal place. So weird. Interesting. Yeah. Well, man, thank you so much for coming out. Good luck with Kilo Tactical. Thank you, man. Let's do some collabs. I'm ready for some, what do we say, Q squared? Q squared. Sweaters, vest. What can we do? Sweater vest. Sweater vest. Some jeggings, bro. I don't even. They're jean leggings. Oh, I have some. (laughs) have some already. Oh, okay. I'd like to see those. Pretty sweet. It's, uh, yeah, they're spandex and they look like ripped jeans. I didn't know that. It's pretty fucking awesome. Um, Yeah, so some kind of cool collab. Like, I'm going to need my own thing that Jay can't have one of. Yeah, I'm all for it. Let's do something in the honey badger colors. See, you're, it, it's already working. It's already working. All right, by the time he yeah is on his way home, he's going to send us eight ideas, Jay. Yep. Yeah. Well, man, it's been so good getting to know you. Uh, again, I appreciate what you're doing, bringing to the industry. It's something new, fresh, something cool, something that I'm excited about wearing. Oh, my God. Finally good stuff to look at that's not a bunch of average guns with average gun bunnies Oof. sick of that man For so sure. so all right so you're gonna go build a gun now yeah 
That's right. It's great. All right. Well, until next time. So I'll, I'll be down for the Kilo Tactical Podcast. Jay, you're, <laughs> you're not going.